0: Oh! series called Invisible Made Visible where we're talking about the attributes of God through the lens of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so how do we know what God is like? Well, the answer is that we look at Jesus and we look at what he's done for us. And, And through the picture of who he is, the exact representation of God's being is found in Jesus we get to know what He's like. We start to live in proximity to Him, in a relationship to Him, and start to encourage one another in in the ways that, that God is and who He can be in our lives. And so, so that's what we've been doing really throughout the whole summer. And we're going to be doing this through the month of September as well, looking at different attributes of God, how they're found in Jesus, and then who we are as a result of those things. And so we've been going through a number of these. Last week we talked about Jesus as being the resurrection and the life. Today we're talking about Jesus as being our great advocate. Our great advocate. How many people know what the word advocate means? Alright, well in case you don't, uh, let's put up a, a, a definition of the word. To advocate, kind of the verb of form of that, that word is to speak, plead, or argue in favor of, or to recommend or, pu- or, or defend publicly. So it's to to advocate for something is to plead for something, to be in favor of it, to recommend it or defend it in front of other people. You do this so publicly. And so an advocate, the noun, somebody who is an advocate, means this, is someone who pleads in behalf of another or an intercessor. Someone who pleads in behalf of another we're an intercessor. So what we're going to talk about today is really answering two questions. And the first one is, how is God our great advocate? And then secondly, how are we as God's people to be advocates for others? How are we to show what God is like by the way that we advocate for other people? Let me ask this before we do that, though. How many of you uh, can, can think of a time when someone's been an advocate for you? That someone has defended you publicly? Well, give me give me the situation in court, okay, you had a public defender or or a lawyer who who represents you before the judge and jury to to plead your case on your behalf. what else a friend how did they advocate for you okay, yeah, so they kind of step in- maybe in kind of a sticky situation and you're having the trouble working it out, and a friend who cares for you and cares for them steps into the middle of the situation as kind of a mediator and says, let's work this thing out, right? Let's reconcile the two of you together. That's an advocate, right? Yeah, I mean, so I hope that you have so, at least something rolling around in your mind, but the truth is we don't get to see this very often unless it's kind of a professional thing, right? We have people who are professional advocates in the legal sense, but in terms of being advocates all the time, I was trying to think through in my own mind, there isn't a lot of examples that I can go to and think, man, this person was an advocate for me, or I remember a specific time. I could probably count them on my, on, on my fingers the number of times I've seen somebody do that or had an opportunity to do it myself. One of the most recent for me was, uh, I, I was Mandy and I were having dinner with one of our neighbors, as we, we often do, and uh, when he came over, he seemed just really upset. Like I could tell something was going on and something was wrong. And I was like, Jim, what's what's the matter? I mean, you seem like riled up about something. You're not settled. And and he started to describe to me a situation that he had been going through the last few days uh, with a friend of his. And uh, Jim's uh, story and history is that uh, he's been part of a family that has a lot of racism in it. And so his father was racist and his grandfather was racist. And he kind of grew up in the midst of, of that kind of talk within the home, um, but he was having a conversation with a, a friend of his, and his friend was uh, saying some really nasty, bad things about his upstairs neighbor, who happened to be an African American family. And he goes, "I just it didn't sit right with me, and I, I don't, I, I like I couldn't listen to it, and I was like, man, there, there's like just the fact that there, something is wrong with the situation, and he knows it." Is is like God working in his life, and and so I was like, well, "What did you do? You know, how did you respond?" He goes, I, "I told him I I do not want you talking about them like that in my home. They, they're good people, and and, and they're nice, and, and we have a relationship, and I I just don't want you talking about them anymore like that." I was like, "Man, do you know what you just did? You were an advocate." I said, do you know what that means? He goes, no, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you, you represented your neighbor in behalf of your friend, and you, and you spoke well of them. You, you defended them publicly and said, I will not stand for you doing this in my home. This is unacceptable behavior. And you represented them before your friend. I said, that takes a lot of courage to do that. You know, because you have no idea how your friend is going to respond and yet you did it anyway. So, said, do you know you are being like Jesus? That's what He's like. That's what God is like. He is our advocate who stands before us and, and on our behalf for us uh, to, to represent us well and to defend us when we need defending, even when we don't deserve that defending. He intercedes for us on our behalf. And he's, he's been doing this from the beginning of creation. You may not realize this, but we see it over and over and over again in the story. And it starts from the very beginning. I mean, think of Adam and Eve, right? They're in the garden. Uh, God says, I, I care about you. I'm giving you all the trees of the garden, but please don't eat this one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat the fruit of it, things are going to go really bad for you. You're going to die. So trust me that I have your best interest in mind. Don't trust in yourself and then they get deceived obviously and they eat of the fruit and they get their eyes get opened, right? And they 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 they're, they realize that they're naked and they become ashamed about that and they start to try to cover themselves. And what does God do? He comes to them and does he shame them all the more? No, he says, "Where are you?" And then when he finds out that they were afraid he goes and he takes animal skins and he puts them around them and clothes them in the midst of their shame. See what he's doing? He's interceding on their behalf. He's, he's advocating. He's for them, e- even when they are afraid that God might be against them. Fast forward in the story and we see a, a, a point where uh, the, Adam and Eve and their descendants, they turn into a nation called Israel. And that, that nation is in slavery to another one called Egypt. And for 400 years they live in slavery and then God ransoms them out and brings them to a new place. And He says, you're going to be My people. Okay, okay, that sounds great. Let's get out of here. So they hightail it out of Egypt, but on their way out they get to this big obstacle. Do you know what that is? The Red Sea, right? And so now they're standing between the, the largest obstacle they've ever faced and the largest army they've ever seen and they're in the midst of this going, what in the world are we going to do now? Like God's let us out here and, and maybe He's let us out here to kill us. Right? But what happens next? Moses talks to God. God tells him, say this to the people and here's what He says. Don't be afraid. That's really easy to, to advice to take, right? In that situation. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of, that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. So, pick up your stones and your swords and get ready to go into battle. Is that what it says? Now, what's it say? The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. She's going, I know it looks impossible, but God's going to intercede and he's going to defend you, so be still. And it's like, okay, well, what do I do while I'm being still? Because I'm still freaked out, right? Notice he doesn't say, like, defend yourselves, like, get your stuff together and let's go. I'm going to make you into a better army. He says, no, I myself will come and will defend you. So trust that I'm able to do that. Let me ask, how would you be feeling at that moment when you're standing in the gap between the army and the sea, and you've got chariots, and who knows what else, bearing down on you. And your your options are swim for it, and who knows if they even had the ability to swim, right? They, I mean, they were slaves all their lives; they probably never touched water that deep before. And, and the greatest army the world had ever known. I mean, how would you be feeling at that point? Yeah, we're all freaked out, right? What else? Hopeless overwhelmed? Desperate? What's that? Afraid. Yeah, a lot of fear, right? Would you be feeling like you need to defend yourself? Or maybe maybe not yourself, but at least your children? Like, okay, God's going to fight for me, but maybe I need to fight for my kids. Would you... Yeah, defenseless. Yeah. Would you feel like, okay, well, I guess... God got us out here. He did everything up until this point, but it looks like it's up to me now. See, I mean, those are many of the same questions, many of the same responses we have in life when we encounter situations where we feel like the circumstances require far more defense than we have in our arsenal. If you ever like open up the arsenal in your life and go, nope? You know, <laughs> I just... I got a couple of slingshots in here, but I don't see how this is all going to work out. Soon after this, though, and by the way, God does ransom them out, right? He makes a way which was impossible, possible, so that they can walk through on dry ground and get to a place of safety. And then what does he do? He takes the same water that was their barrier and he uses that to destroy every enemy that was against them. It's crazy, right? that God was able to do that in the midst of such dire circumstances. He interceded and He defended and He advocated for His people. Soon after that event, God tells Israel that the reason that I've brought you out, the reason that I've made you mine is because I want you to be a kingdom of priests who who live and breathe to to show the world what I'm like. I, I want you to live on my behalf I want you to be a priest. I don't know what picture comes to your mind when you think of the word priest, but a collar does not make a priest. A priest is somebody who is an intermediary who advocates for someone else. So a priest is somebody who goes to God on behalf of people and who brings the presence of God to people on his behalf. That's what a priest does. And so God is saying, I want my people to be a nation of priests. I want them to go and represent me to the nations. And I want them to advocate for the the good of others on their behalf. Pray for them and intercede for them and bring their concerns before me. Because that's why I've made you my people. Does that sound familiar? See, it says my people are to be a nation of priests. In Exodus 19, this is the way he spells it out. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, right? You were witnesses. How I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I mean, do you hear the care in God's voice, the graciousness of who he is? Now, if you obey me and keep my commandment or my covenant, Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, like let's not, you know, play games. Everything belongs to me. You will be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Do you hear what he's saying? He's going, you see what I did for you in Egypt, right? You saw how I was for you. I advocated for you. I interceded for you. I defended you. I came to your rescue. You go and you be that for other people. Be my priest. Do what I did. I showed you exactly how to do it. Now go and do it for others. Let me ask though, how did, it, how did they do it fulfilling that commandment? How did it go? Yeah, not so much, right? Yeah. What did they end up doing? Complaining, whining, living for themselves. What's that? Yeah, betraying God's trust, using the blessing of God to bless themselves rather than bless other people, living for their own interests, forgetting what God had done for them in Egypt. And so rather than representing the Lord and telling everyone what he's like, they just wanted to be like every other nation. They just wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to fit in and they wanted to be cool and they wanted to be, you know, they wanted other people to like them. And to not overrun their borders and come against them so that they would have to defend themselves. Does does any of that sound familiar? How often is that the case for us? See, like God, like Israel, we are called to be a nation of priests who advocate for others. Peter says in the New Testament that we are a royal priesthood. A people who defend others even when they don't deserve our defense. And when we do that, when we live in that way, we actually show the world what God is like. So every time we step in and we defend others, just like my neighbor did on behalf of his upstairs neighbors, God gets glory there because we're showing the world what he's like. And so what I was doing by responding to him that way is I wanted him to see that just the way that he stepped out and defended his neighbors, God steps in and defends him. And that he can trust in God's defenses and trust that God is going to be a good advocate for him. And I so want that for him. I hope there are people in your life that you so want them to experience the rest and the peace that comes from knowing God as our advocate. I mean, We all know people, right, that from sun up till sundown you get up and it's like I need to defend myself at every moment, in every situation, in every way, because if I don't, nobody else will. I know people like that, and I've been someone like that. I think we probably all have. So let me ask, how well are we doing at being those advocates for others? How well are we doing at stepping in the gap And going to bat for other people. In our homes, even. In our workplaces, in our school, on the PTA. Let me ask this, though. If we're not, if this isn't happening for us, why not? Why not? What keeps us from being the kinds of advocates that God calls us to be? Fear of what? Yep. Yep. Yeah, those are kind of two different things, right? We could fear that, that, yeah, when we advocate for someone else, it might not be received that way, and so who cares anyway? Or we might really fear people's rejection of us, right? And we place such a high high value on their opinion of who we are. That we, if we actually defended them um, or stepped in and, and said something, that what, it's pretty weird, right? I mean, it's not the norm to defend other people to be their advocate. So there's a little bit of like, I'm going to be perceived kind of weird here if I do this. And that fear may keep us from doing it. Yeah, what else? Selfishness how would that play itself out yeah yeah what's in it for me right the, their problems are their problems my problems are my problems i got enough to worry about i don't need to be going around defending other people what else past experience what kinds of experiences yeah 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 maybe you stepped out and tried to do that before for somebody else, and you got shot down, and so you think, man, I'm never doing that again, right, yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> or it takes two or three or four or ten or fifty times to learn our lesson, yeah right, yep, yep. Let me, let me go to some other ones. How, have you ever secretly wished that somebody else would fail because it makes you feel better about your life? See, that's the opposite of an advocate, right? See, we want mercy for ourselves and we want justice for other people. And so sometimes we're not an advocate for others because secretly we want ourselves to be put into place over somebody else. I mean, our, the, the, the environment of many of our workplaces feeds right into that, right? Because most companies work like a triangle, and there are a lot of spaces at the bottom. It's easy to advocate for people down there. But as you start to go up and up and up, the spaces get fewer and fewer, and you go, man, if I advocate for somebody else, I may not get the promotion. Right? for myself, one of the primary things is that I found that I'm far too busy proving myself to you to advocate for you. I want you to like me. I want you to think well of me. And so I'll be my own advocate so that in your eyes, my position increases so that you think well enough of me. And maybe once I get enough respect or enough whatever, then I'll start to advocate for other people. See, the truth is that I think the root cause of us not being advocates for other people, is that we believe that we need to be our own advocates. If you search your own heart and find the pattern of your own life, you're going to find, I think more often than not, that, you, that each and every day you go, I need to defend myself, I need to stand up for myself, I need to intercede for myself, because if I don't, nobody else will. All of us do that. Yeah, and society tells us that's exactly the way that we should live. And so all the, it's funny because all the people that are around us are all thinking the same things too. And no wonder we don't have all kinds of crazy examples of people being advocates for one another. They're, we're all too busy with being our own advocates. But wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be amazing good news? I mean, wouldn't it be off the charts awesome if we had just like the perfect advocate that stood in the gap and interceded for us and defended us at every moment and every day like the perfect defender who goes everywhere with us. Wouldn't that be cool? You'd want to know this person, right? I know, I'm going down this path. I'm leading you to water, right? Question is, will you drink? Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. It would be, and we do. And His name is Jesus. He pleads on our behalf, and he's an inter- interceder for us. And, and here's, the, here's the great news. When we understand the depths of, inter- of his intercession for us, it, I believe that it will make us into the kind of people that God intended for us to be. So let, let, let's see what he does. If you're going to follow along, it's on page 844 of uh, the Bibles that we have under the seats. We're going to be in John, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2, the first couple of verses. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's God's desire for you that you would not walk in perpetual selfishness and sin. That should be good news right there, right? That that God is for you and he wants to see you grow into what his son Jesus looks like. But it, it doesn't stop there. He says there's even more good news. But if anyone does sin, so God's a realist, he understands, okay, you're not going to do the first line, perfectly, always, all the time. So when you do sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. What's the word that we would use? Advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So I want you to, I want you to picture this, okay? Maybe even close your eyes so that you can get the scene. The Lord of the universe is sitting in his throne room today. Around him is, is an array of all of the armies of angels. And they are constantly, day and night, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're just praising God and and reflecting on who He is. And right next to the Father and the Lord of the universe sits Jesus Christ, the Lamb who is slain. And He's speaking to the Father. You can, you can almost pick up on the fact that He's whispering to Him. There's an intimacy and a closeness between the two that you've probably never seen between two people before. They love one another and they're for one another. But you can pick up on the fact that Jesus is whispering something in the Father's ear. Do you know what He's saying? He is speaking into the Father's ear. You are my son. You are my daughter. He's speaking about you. He's advocating for you. he's, He's reminding the Father of the completeness of His sacrifice for you. And so even when you're walking in sin, if you're His, Jesus is telling the Father, remember My work for them. Remember how much we love them. See, we were the ones who were rebellious and deserved the punishment for that rebellion. We're the ones who walked away from the Father. But on the cross, Jesus, the righteous one, the one who always does what is good, right, and perfect, He took upon Himself that which was not His own, our rebellion Himself, and He paid the penalty in full. We talk about that good news every single week. That's good news, right? But then he takes that good news and he brings it before the Father and he exchanges his righteousness, his perfect life, for our unrighteousness. And the good news gets even better because today, right now, he's standing before the Father, reminding the Father of what he did for you. That's an advocate. I mean, so let that sink in for a minute, what I just said. He didn't only pay the price for our sin, but He now stands before the Father pleading on our behalf, saying, don't give them what they deserve. Give them what I deserve. Give them the mercy that I warranted for them. I'm the righteous one, and in me they're righteous too. Love them with the same love in which you've loved me. Show mercy as if they'd never sinned before. And then even when they do sin, Father, remember that I paid for each and every single one of those sins. And so when we walk through life and we think of ourselves and we fall into selfish patterns and we sin, Jesus is standing before the Father going, that one right there, remember that I paid for that one. Don't hold that one against them. They're still your son. They're still your daughter. Remember that my purchase for them was complete. It is enough, Father. Love them. Continue to shower your grace upon them. If there's better news out there, tell me. Because I don't know of it. That's amazing news. I mean, what a Savior we have. We have one who pays for our crimes, and then He goes before the Father and He pleads our innocence on our behalf. He's our advocate. Do you know what that means? I mean, think of the implications. You can get up every single day and you can go, Father, I know that You're for me today, and so help me to walk in Your ways. But when I don't, and I live for myself, and I fail Thank You that You stand up for me even when I don't deserve it. See, Jesus is our advocate. In Him we get both mercy, we don't get what we deserve, we don't get the punishment that we deserve, but we also get grace. We get all the stuff that He merited. We get what we don't deserve in Him too. Forgiveness and restoration and eternal life. That, that's the kind of advocate that we have in Jesus. So, so let me ask, if that's true, if that's true of God, and if you're in Him, it's true of you, how might it change the way that you live? How might it change? What, what difference would you see in your life? If we truly believed that, I'd love to hear an answer. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. And it's the one true God who is my Lord. So, in my mind, there's an immediate opportunity for grace instead of shame. Yeah. Yeah, immediately, right? So, when we sin, how long do you feel like you need to shame yourself in order to pay for the sin that you just committed? Like when you go back to the same website that you've gone to for I don't know how many years and you go, man, I did it again. How long does it take for you to get before the cross and experience the grace that comes and washes over you in the midst of your sin? I hope it doesn't take long. I really hope so. Because there is no shame, right? And every shame that we feel in the moment of sin is not shame that's coming from the Spirit telling us that we're His. Right? It's it's either coming from ourselves and we feel like we need to be our own advocate and because of that I need to feel ashamed for what I've done for a certain length of period of time until I feel like I've done enough penance or paid it myself. Or it's the accuser who's coming to us because he's our enemy because we belong to God and he's saying "You, you did it again. Maybe you're not His child. Maybe you don't belong to Him. See, none of that's from the Father and none of that's from Jesus because Jesus perfectly advocates on our behalf. What else might change? Yeah, yeah. We would experience rest. We wouldn't feel like we need to prove ourselves anymore, right? to ourselves, to our parents, to our boss, to our kids, maybe for the first time you'd feel okay with yourself. Right? Because if you've got the Father's approval and Jesus is going, you're good to go, I paid for it, who else's opinion do you need? Right? See, if we really believed that, we wouldn't need anyone else's opinion. Every other opinion would be secondary. What else? You step out of your comfort zone. How so? Yeah. Yeah we, we, yeah, we wouldn't be defined by the same things anymore, right? It would give us a lot of boldness, right, in the way that we live boy, that would be good news to us and it would also be good news to other people too, wouldn't it? I mean, if you've, if you had somebody in your life who knew that they were perfectly advocated for, you'd probably want to be around them a lot. Because they would just be such an encourager and, and such a, a source of grace to you too because they'd go, I don't need to live, it's not about me anymore, so I don't have to live for myself. And you'd go, man, Like, when can we schedule time together, you know? Can we have lunch this week? Because I just feel blessed when I'm around you. They'd be good news to us. And are we that to others? I I think, you know, we wouldn't feel the, the need to hide from everyone all the stuff that goes on throughout our week. You'd actually be able to be in community with other people and share the deep burdens of your heart or even the deep places of sin that you experience throughout the week because you'd go, I don't need their approval in order to share it with them. I just need to get it off my chest so that I can get and receive the advocacy of Christ maybe in somebody else. And so you wouldn't go into community going, I've got to pe- keep all my barriers up and all my walls and do- I can't let people in. We wouldn't do any of that, right? We wouldn't feel the need to minimize our sin either, and go, "Well, yeah, I did that this week, but you know, it's not as bad as so and so. I mean, they're really messed up. You've seen their life. I mean, at least my sin, like when we, you know, get into like stuff in our home, like it doesn't wake the neighbors up. But my neighbor, whoo man, they're terrible. Do you hear what that is? That's you being your own advocate. That's you not resting in the advocacy of Christ, which, is, which would lead you to say, I, people can see my inner stuff, it doesn't matter. I don't need a fig leaf to hide behind it because in Jesus I've got a better covering. You see what that would do? It's amazing, isn't it? It gets better. See, not only have we been saved from the penalty of our sin, we've been advocated for, like we just saw, but we're being saved today from the power of our sin. There is victory that God is waging on our behalf over sin, and Jesus is our advocate who actually helps us to defeat sin. So how does that work? John goes on to say this. He says, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That's the past, right? But it's still working. He says, I am writing to you, young men, and, and I'll add young women, because you've overcome the evil one. See, the Gospel is saving you from the power of sin. We are overcoming it together with God's strength. And so you might go, okay, well, how is this happening? Because I don't feel like it's happening. But do you know what the word in Greek is for the word Advocate. It's used most often of another person called the Holy Spirit. It's the word called Paraclete. It literally means to to come alongside, to be called alongside. And it's used most frequently of the Holy Spirit. So so what's the Holy Spirit's job as an advocate? Well, if Jesus' job is to remind the Father of His work on our behalf, the Spirit's work is to remind us of Jesus' work on our behalf. Do you see how that works? Jesus goes and he reminds the Father, this is what I did for them. And then he sends the Spirit who comes to us and goes, this is what I've done for you. He reminds us. And when he does that, we actually overcome sin. Because the way that we overcome sin is to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us, his life, death, and resurrection. Now, That could just wash over you. So I'm going to say it again. The way that we overcome sin is to be reminded of Jesus' work for us. You think, that sounds crazy. All I need to do is be reminded of something and then I won't sin? Yes. Here's why. Because all sin is unbelief in God. Everyone. We We could spend hours looking at different examples, but... Let's just take a few. The, the reason that people covet and steal is because they don't really believe that God is their great provider. I mean, what's the whole reason that you'd steal what somebody else has is because you don't believe that you've been given enough. And who does that implicate? It implicates God. And and if we don't if we don't have the boldness to steal, then well, I'll just covet what other people have, and, and I'll you know, remain with what I have, but secretly I'll desire what other people have and and think, man, if I had what they have rather than what I have, then I'd be better. Things would be better off. I'd be a better person. I'd be more comfortable. I'd be able to rest. All of that. I'd be happy, you know? We Listen to the commercials and we go, if I just had that... The BMW or the the Lexus with the bow on it at Christmas time. Man, things would be so much better in life, right? And if my neighbor has one with the bow on it, by the way, I've never seen that before. Maybe I'm just in the wrong neighborhood. If I just had what they had, then I'd feel better. What is that? It's saying back to God, I don't trust that you've given me enough for my life to be okay. Okay. And because I can't trust you, I need to trust in myself or I need to go and get something that isn't really mine. See, it it all comes from that. It's unbelief in God. See, we don't rest because we believe that God really isn't in control. And so we need to do everything ourselves because if God can't do it, I must need to do it rather than feeling like He is in control. So, when we're reminded of who God is and what He's done for us, it leads to worship. When we actually believe it in our hearts that God is in control and that He will control our life to a better end than we can control it to, we rest and we go, God, You're so great. Thank You for caring enough for me to to lead me in the way that I should go. You're so much more trustworthy than I am. You know what that's called? It's called worship. It's a lot more than singing on Sunday. And you know what you can't do at the same time that you worship? Sin. You can't. Just try it. (laughs) If any one of you can do it, you come and talk to me afterwards because I'd like to hear it. (laughs) You can't do both simultaneously. And it's the Spirit that reminds us and leads us to worship. That's His job. That's His role. And so Jesus talks about this specifically in John 14. He says, but the counselor, the advocate, same word, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will do what? He'll remind you. He'll remind you of everything that I've said for you. He'll be the Father's advocate in your life, reminding you over and over and over again, don't forget what Jesus has done for you. Remember Him. Rest in Him. See, the, 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 Jesus, the Spirit is advocating the Father to us all the time. Remember how great God is, because if you remember that He's in control, you won't need to be, and you can rest. Remember that He's glorious, that, that your life and all of life is all about Him always, and so His opinion matters. If His opinion matters, then don't give yourself away to the opinions of other people, because they don't matter. If God is, remember that God is good. That He's for you and He gives you all good things. And if you know that and believe that, then you won't need to look elsewhere to find something good for yourself. And oh, by the way, when you mess up the first three, remember that God is gracious. So you don't need to prove yourself. You can live and rest in His grace and know that He's enough to cover you in your day and your time of sin. Remember all that. That's what the Spirit does. Remember that His perfect life was given for years. Remember that you're now His family and so He doesn't withhold any good thing from you. Over and over and over and over again. So what does the Spirit need to remind you of this morning? Whatever that is, write it down. Or at least keep it in your mind and go, this is what I need... Spirit, I need to be reminded of this from you. Will you come and will you remind me of it? Will you bring it to mind when I need to hear it? See, the truth is, the Spirit doesn't stop His work at like 11.30 on Sunday morning. You know, He doesn't have like really bad office hours that are only like 10 to 11.30 one day a week. But we live that way sometimes, don't we? Please know that He goes everywhere with you if you belong to Christ. He lives in you and can remind you of the Father's love no matter where you go. Please live with that awareness that God gave Him for that very reason. So when you're struggling, just Spirit, I'm struggling with finding my identity, my paycheck. Please remind me of who I am and that You're my great provider. Spirit, come and speak words of life. Be my advocate for me. Recently for me, I've been reminded of how I should be coming to the Father and, and, uh, and spending time with him. I was kind of reminded of this through a book that I was reading um, called um, A Praying Life by a guy named Paul Miller. It's one of the best books I've read on prayer. And just being reminded over and over again that we should come to God like children. And, and and oftentimes when you've been a Christian for any length of period of time, you start to believe that you need to come to God like having cleaned yourself up some way, you know. And so you, like you get into prayer and you start going, well, I mean, there's a certain order to things. And so I got to, I got to do my acts thing. I got to adoration first and talk about who god is and after i do that then i got to confess some sin and after i feel bad enough about my sin then i'm going to give thanks for all the things that i don't typically give thanks for and then once i do all that work now i can come to god with all my problems and supplication how many of you have ever been taught that you know it's it's acts it's not stack you know <laughs> But I was just being reminded by the Spirit to come like a child. You know how my child comes to me when he's got a problem? Like runny nose, tears down his face. Look, I got a problem. You know, like comes in. I need to go potty. You know, he's, he's not coming to me and go, dad, you're so great. I know in my heart that you're for me and that you can lead me to the potty. (laughs) Thank you that you know where the potty is and that you can clean the potty once I'm done using it. I confess that I don't often go on the potty and sometimes I go before I get to the potty. Please forgive me. It's It's ridiculous, right? Jesus said, if you, you got a burden, come to me. You who are le- heavy laden, seek me and you will find rest. So you know what, the way I've been going to God recently? I've been coming to him and going, I'm a mess. <laughs> here's what's on my mind. I'm worried about this. I'm frustrated about this. I, I, I'm sorry for this. I, like, and I just let the Spirit bring all kinds of stuff that's going on in my heart. I let it all bubble to the surface. And most of the time, I'll write it all down before him, And I'll go, God, do something with it. And, then once I, and what, what I found is, if I feel like I can actually bring the stuff that's actually going on in my life, I want to be more intimate with them. And I want to bring them more stuff. And I found that the more I bring that to him, the more I trust him, the more I trust him, the more I adore him, and the more I give thanks for him, and the more I confess to him. i coming like a child. That's what the Spirit's been reminding me of lately. And it's been so good. And he's been so gracious to do that. See, Jesus says it's the Spirit that continuously reminds our hearts of what he's done. It's the Spirit that leads us to that place where we can actually come to Him. And He says, you're new creations now. And it's that truth that sets us free. So where do you turn when you feel like your life is in total disrepair? Where do you go? Do you go to the great advocate?
1: Do you go to the
0: one who's standing and living even today, right now this morning, standing before the Father, speaking on your behalf and saying, give them what I deserve. And are you coming to the Spirit and going, please Spirit, advocate the Father's love to me. Remind me of who I am. Give me all that I need today because I need to hear from you. See, when when those two things are happening, when those two things are firing on all pistons, here's what goes on. When you're secure in the defense of the father's love and he's speaking to you, words of affirmation, you don't need to stand up for yourselves anymore, because you've got a great advocate. And now, maybe for the first time, you get to be advocates for other people because you're defended. The best people that, the people that have the best offense are the ones who have the best defense, right? I mean teams win championships like that. Do you know that you're well defended? See, 1 John 2 says this. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Done. But not only for our sins. Also for the sins of the entire world. What a great reminder, right? God would say, the reason that I've advocated for you so well and I've been so gracious for you, it's all for you, don't get me wrong, but it's so that through you I might lead you to be an advocate so that others would know also the kind of advocate I can be for them. See, it's not just about us. But because we have an advocate that defends us, we can now see others with the same eyes that the Father sees us. So how do you primarily see other people? It's a good indication of whether or not you see yourself as being advocated for. Do you see people primarily through the lens of their sin and their brokenness or do you see them primarily through the lens of what Christ has done on their behalf? Do you see someone with a broken marriage or do you see an addict or do you see somebody who is constantly late and never is dependable and is always thinking about themselves or do you See them as somebody that needs to be advocated for and you go to that person and say, I understand what God has done for you and so I'm going to advocate his love for you. Do you treat others according to their sin or do you treat them according to Jesus' righteousness? His advocacy is not just for us. It's for the sins of the whole world and that should transform the way that we live started with a story about Jim. I'm going to end with one too. Um, A year ago when we started being in relationship with him and with some of our other neighbors, I looked across the street and I saw somebody who lives by themselves, um, who keeps his lights off all the time, uh, who is lonely and uh, does not have much to offer the world. I saw him primarily through the lens of what his life looks like. And so we stepped out in faith and started living our life alongside of him. This past week, we, we were able to uh, go to the zoo with him and treat him like a family member. And then um, he came to my door that night, and he said, um, I, I lost my, my ID card. I can't find it anywhere. Will you help me? And I noticed that something had changed in my heart that year when he asked that question. If he, if he had come to our door and he had asked that question a year ago, I probably would have given him a flashlight and said, I hope you find it. You know, the first thing that like, I thought in my heart is, I need to go out and help him find it. And so we, we actually retraced his steps around the entire neighborhood looking for uh, the, the, this card that he thought that he dropped along the way. So we walked all the way through the neighborhood, and we're talking all the way, and he's like, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys have been so wonderful this whole year. And, I, you know, we got all the way back to his house, and there it is sitting on his chair in the kitchen. It had been there the whole time. But because he doesn't often turn his lights on because he's trying to save money, he didn't see it, and he doesn't have a flashlight. And my heart just broke for him because I thought, man, the way he's been searching and searching and searching for this card that means everything to him, there's a great story in Luke 15 about how the Father searches for us in the very same way.
1: Just pleading on behalf
0: of my friend and my hopefully someday brother in Christ in our kitchen after that, going, God, save him. Come to his rescue. Help him to know that you're there for him and that you love him and that you're his advocate and use me in any possible way to please speak the truth of that into his life. I want him so desperately to know that God is his advocate. And I want want you so desperately to know that he sees you in the very same way. And When you know that, You can, in the same way, be advocates for other people and you can give your life for them. I hope that that's happening for you. And if it's not, we're going to pray and ask that the Spirit would do that in our hearts because I believe that He can. I believe that He wants to. So let's pray.
1: Father, we thank You that there is
0: nothing that we've done to deserve Your love If you looked at us with the same eyes that we often look at the people in our lives, there would be nothing that you would see in us that would say they're worth rescuing, they're worth dying for, they're worth being advocated for, and yet you don't see us that way. You look on us and you see sheep without a shepherd who've gone astray and need to be pulled back in. And in Christ, that's what you've done for us. You didn't withhold any good thing, but you set your very best to give his life in our place so that we could be yours. And then even when we go astray over and over again, again, when, when we sin again today, that same one who came and rescued us, he's standing before the Father and he's going, don't give them what they deserve. Thank you that we have such a great advocate and remind us over and over again, Spirit, of what we have in you. And I pray, God, that that truth would set us free so that we would be the kind of people that go to bat for others. Would you make that so in our hearts so that we could live as your people and be this nation of priests that you called us to be. I ask that you do it for your name's sake. Amen.